It's time for episode 413 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that continues on even if Dan Morin isn't present. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, but not Dungeon Buddy, it is Jason Snell. Welcome back to the show, Jason. Hi, Micah. It's always good to uh, to fill in to my old stomping grounds here. I'm surprised that you didn't have that rhyme that you're soldiering on when Dan is gone. You oh. were like you swerved at the last minute there. Well, Darn Dan it. is away. Uh, what was I thinking? It was almost a song, but it wasn't. No, it's great to be back on Clockwise, as always. Uh, folks, we have two awesome guests, and it's time to introduce them. To my left is... Just an all-around fantastic person whose birthday happens to be today, as well as a web editor and producer at the Texas Standard, and a prolific writer and host right here on Relay FM for Parallel. It is Shelly Brisbane. Hello, Shelly. Hi, Micah. Happy to be here. Happy to spend a little bit of my birthday with you. Aww. Happy birthday, Shelly. Thank you. And uh, to my left, uh, you may know her from the automators podcast here at relay fm and all of the other great things that she does including at her very own website which is literally her name uh it is rosemary orchard hello hello thank you for having me happy birthday shelly thanks all right let's get this birthday cast kicked off today i want to know this smartphone makers seem to be continuing to announce foldable phones so it's a simple question could you see yourself ever carrying a phone with a foldable screen shelly we'll start with you i could assuming that they get to the point where they're that the technology is really good and it makes it I, I like the idea of a foldable phone because it means that i would be more likely to carry a big screen phone i have not been a max phone person in a while and despite the fact that i love the idea of a big screen i just my purse or pocket does not uh like it very well and so if a foldable phone was good i don't know maybe an apple product because they tend to be um i would certainly consider it yeah it looks like Reading all the reviews of the latest, um, the Samsung fold, foldable phones, and they, they have two new ones, it feels like they finally have gotten it mostly figured out. And I know that people are going to roll their eyes, but it also feels like this means that Apple is one or two years away from releasing their version because we know what Apple does, right? Apple has been working on foldable iPhones in their labs for years now, and and Apple tends to be pretty conservative when it comes to new technology like this. They 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 want it to be uh, great when they ship it, whereas Samsung is content to ship expensive kind of weird phones and kind of <laughs> test it all in public. Apple doesn't doesn't do that so i feel like uh this latest round of samsung phones seem good enough that we're probably on the precipice of a bunch of other companies including most notably i think apple jumping in personally i i have a 12 mini iphone so uh, i've thought about the idea of that like the galaxy or it's not a galaxy anymore but the flip that they that they ha have that's like a little phone that's also a big phone but the truth is i love my ipad so much that i think what i would really prefer is something that starts out as a phone and 
and folds out uh, like the uh, like the fold from Samsung to be more like a mini tablet. But either way, I yeah, I'm kind of into the idea that uh, we may be uh, on the precipice of having a lot of choices in terms of something that fits in your pocket, but is uh, has a lot bigger screen when you want to use it. That that pretty much sums up a lot of my feelings as well. I really love the idea of the Microsoft Duo. It, it I don't know, maybe it was just their marketing video. They did really well on that. But I love the idea of this device, you know, where you have it and it's small, it's compact when you need to use it and it folds out. I find myself carrying uh, an iPhone 12 mini um, and an iPad mini at the moment. Um, and I actually had a Pro Max iPhone for a while. Um, and then I, I got the mini as a testing device and my Pro Max is now the testing device because it turns out I really like the tiny size. Um, but it, you know, there are times where I go, you know, it would be really handy to just be able to have a bigger screen on this. Um, I don't want it most of the time, but some of the time and carrying two devices, it's a little bit annoying. So yeah, it, it would be wonderful to have this. I don't know if I would have it as a phone. I think I would prefer a small tablet that folds out into a bigger tablet or something. Um, but you know, I we'll have to see what we can get there. Um, but I, yeah, one thing I definitely don't want, though, is something that looks like it's kind of one of those dodgy screen protectors that's put on and you peel it off and then it turns out you break your screen. I would really prefer not to have that on whatever production device ends up in my pocket. What about you, Micah? Uh, yeah, uh, all interesting answers that I think um, I kind of fall into to some extent. For me, um, I think the idea of a foldable phone is cool in terms of being able to have a phone that gets uh, a bigger screen, but I don't like the way that when you fold it, it gets so much thicker. Um, I want to be able to store it in my pocket. And then if I were to pull it out and, you, you know, make it the full size that it would get bigger at that point, but I don't want the compromise uh, that comes with that kind of super thick uh, wedge that you stick in your pocket. And so there are kind of two ways that that could go. Either some of those unrolly phones that we've seen uh, at least we've seen displays for that at ces where it kind of rolls up and you can pull it out almost like a scroll i think that's kind of interesting or really what i think all of this is is a pause between what we have now and the technology we will eventually have which is augmented reality and that's where you know you don't even really need a slab of glass in front of you because Anything can be your screen. Anyone can cook. No, anything can be your screen, any display, <laughs> anywhere. Uh, I, that's kind of, I, I hope that I get to be around for that. And that's the, the, the next level for me, the next kind of technology for me. So, um, maybe I'll end up with a foldable phone, but I don't know if I'll like it. <laughs> we'll see. All right, Shelly, let us move on to your topic. Well, the alphabet owned wing drone company has announced that it's made 100 million deliveries and a robot company called coco has just raised 36 million dollars they have these little robots that operate on city streets and with uh, more activity in the robot delivery business i guess i'm wondering as a consumer how do you feel about automated deliveries are they a job killing and sort of unsettling technology or are they an energy efficient way to get your stuff I am not a, a huge fan of this, although I, I was walking around uh, a couple years ago around the campus at UC Berkeley and there, the, a robot came by. Although it turns out it's not a robot because it is remote driven, right? Just like the, uh, the Coco ones. There's actually somebody in a data center somewhere who is steering this robot 
remotely. Um, it's not autonomously moving, but that's a the different podcast where we debate whether something is a robot or not. I'll just say I like the idea of having drone delivery or robot delivery for things that need to be like immediately served. Um, I feel a lot more ambivalent about the idea that we're going to end up with kind of like robot trucks that bring packages to our house, probably containing robots that we then open with our robot box opener. And, you know, <laughs> like it's robots all the way down. I I, uh, I I feel like a lot of this stuff is unnecessary, but I, I can see for if you absolutely positively need it in the next two hours, having a little drone drop it off on your front lawn. Like I, I get that, but I, I wonder... I'm skeptical because this is like self-driving cars and all of that, like outside of college campuses and corporate campuses and things like that, where I think it might make more sense, uh, you know, take this to Bob in accounting and the robot goes into the elevator and goes down five levels and goes across the sky bridge and all of that. Right. Like I can see that. But beyond that, it seems like uh, I bet most of this is going to be a waste of time. I'm, I'm pretty skeptical about it in a, on a larger scale. Yeah, this is something where, uh, on the one hand, I love the idea of my deliveries, you know, being delivered by a drone. On the other hand, I've also seen how terrible a job people can do delivering parcels. Thank you, Yodel, for throwing it on the roof um, of a two-story building just, you know, for extra difficulty points. Why did they do that? It made the news here in the UK. Fortunately, it was not my parcel on my roof. But, you know, if if a, if a drone's got to put something down, you you think that they're they're probably going to have to figure out a way to put it down carefully because what if it's fragile or badly packaged, uh, etc. Um, they have weight limits and so on. I love the idea of you know little remote control things zooming around, um, preferably specially organized tracks in offices and so on, so that they're not in the way of people who possibly have accessibility needs, possibly just straight up aren't looking where they're going. Um, and, uh, you know, so that stuff can get around faster. But I'm also somebody who lives in a town adjacent to where Amazon has one of their delivery warehouses, for want of a better word. It's a logistics center where a lot of stuff comes before it then comes to me. Um, and so there's no drone that's going to get from there to this town. So they're still going to have to drive it to this town or put it on a train to get it to this town. They won't put it on a train that's too expensive. Um, so I like the idea of it on a small scale for certain things. But realistically, I don't think we are there yet. I think about the folks who uh, have had issues working for Amazon as delivery folks where uh, they don't have time to stop to use the restroom. They are, in some cases, coming across um, the waste of previous drivers in uh, specific vans. I think about the uptick in crashes on the highway from Amazon subcontracted truckers. All of that. And I wonder if some of that could be helped by robotics. But uh, how close we are, I don't know. I, I, I think that, you know, a lot of people are still skeptical about um, automated robots doing these kinds of things. And of course, then you do ask about uh, what jobs the folks who would have been doing those jobs would be doing so it's it's a tough one Shelley it honestly is and um, I think that it could be efficient um, but it could also be detrimental so it's uh, kind of one of those wait and see things uh, why don't you round us out sure Micah I think you're right about the 
issues with the way people are doing the jobs that the robots would eventually get, both in terms of the risk to those jobs and also the uh, soul-sucking conditions of those jobs and sometimes the dangerousness of those jobs. Because even whether you can automate humans or not, companies will do their best to squeeze the last ounce of productivity, and that's usually not great for people. And so in that respect, I like the idea of giving those jobs to robots in to some extent. Uh, on the other hand, my concern too is that because drones and robots that go on the street, very different technology for very different kinds of places, I feel like there's a tendency when we get into things like automated delivery to, to think in terms of one size fits all down toward the end. So right now you've got these companies experimenting essentially and doing small scale pilots of drones and robots. But the drones are great for rural and suburban areas where there may not be as much access to uh, quick delivery via a car or via some via human uh, method. There, there are places in Australia, for example, where this alphabet co- the alphabet uh, wing company is piloting, where people were not able to get instant deliveries before, or one-day deliveries or two-hour deliveries. Uh, and then on the city streets, though, we, we have a company, it's not Coco, it's a different company who does deliveries uh, in the urban core of, of Austin, Texas, where I live, and uh, there's actually a person following behind. We don't even have the sort of cachet of somebody in a data center piling it, like piloting it from several uh, states away. There's actually a human being standing there with a tablet as it goes down the street, to which I say, okay, well, this is clearly just a prototype, and it's it's kind of kind of cute. Uh, but but that's the concern I have is that all the good things about this technology are really specific to the kind of environment you're in. And I don't necessarily need a drone to drop into my uh, city yard. There, there was something in the article about how difficult it is that the people who get these deliveries have to specify where the drone can land so that it doesn't run into trees or power lines or whatever. So it's not an easy thing. Uh, and this is my concern that if we, we decide that all the deliveries are going to be made by robots, the robot sizes might not fit all the environments. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break before we come back with the second half of the show. Yes, that means it's halftime. And this episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Electric. Somewhere along the way, you've picked up onboarding and offboarding of new employees. You've picked up managing app licenses, company devices, and networks. You've picked up checking all of those cybersecurity boxes and fielding never-ending IT support requests like, where's my password again? On top of the 10,000 other things you do every day, you've added the do the work of an entire IT team to your list. Thankfully, there is a solution, and it doesn't require cloning yourself or spending the next six months interviewing IT managers. Try Electric. Electric is the IT management platform made for all of the many hat wearers out there who just need someone to handle it. With Electric, you get the visibility and control of an IT management platform with the practical help of more than 100 IT specialists. That's a whole team to take on all of those extra IT tasks you've picked up. Who can field IT support tasks directly from your team through your favorite corporate messaging app while giving you full visibility into every project so you can focus on more strategic things like your actual job description? Unbury yourself from IT tasks. Just head over to electric.ai slash clockwise to get started. And get this, this is wild. Just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they're going to give you a pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones. That's right. If you visit electric.ai slash clockwise, 
you can get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones today for scheduling a qualified meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show and of Relay FM. All righty, Jason, what is your topic? I just finished a novel called The Chosen and the Beautiful by the author uh, Nevoy, and um, she uses the plot and the characters of The Great Gatsby. And she was able to do this because The Great Gatsby, as of the beginning of this year, entered the public domain, finally exiting copyright after a very long time. So I've, I've been thinking a lot about sort of the push and pull between the rights of creators to benefit from their uh, work and the value of content ultimately, uh, the always the intent is for it to reach the public domain and be used for a broader good. Um, and I was thinking about it as I was reading this novel that literally could not have existed without the approval of F. Scott Fitzgerald's estate until January 1st of this year. So I'm prompting all of you. You're, uh, I'm putting you in charge for the day. You're the world copyright czar and you get to decree uh, the length of copyright. How long should a work be locked up in copyright before being open to the public? And why do you feel that way? Rosemary? This is a really tricky one. Um, and I mean, I, there is clearly no right answer to this, but I think it should probably be something like for the author's lifetime or so, um, simply because otherwise you do end up with works belonging to an estate and then the estate has to approve things i know a lot of tolkien's heirs are going after pubs that have had the names for 50 60 years or even longer because they don't want anybody using a name that comes from lord of the rings well the name didn't actually originally come from lord of the rings it came from somewhere else and it happens to be the same sort of thing or maybe it did but it's been there for a really long time micah what about you i think we have it uh, or, or actually, I don't say, I'm not going to say that because I'm in charge. So I'm going to say, <clears throat> we're having it. Uh, so I think that I don't even know what the current copyright, uh, period is and if it's different for different things, but uh, it, it is. And it's complicated because it depends on when it went into copyright and all of that, but it's, it's long. It's very long. Yeah. Whatever it is, we're taking it, we're slicing it in half and that's it. Because right now we have like the way that the internet works and kind of the, the, the base of the sharing across the internet and all of that. There's so much, you know, rework of work. There's so much remixing, recreating. And I know that all of that kind of falls in its own rules and regulations with copyright. But given the sort of hyper connectivity and the ability to create some amazing things, I think that, yeah, uh, whatever it is right now, I agree that it's far too long. And if we just go ahead and slice it in half, uh, we're getting to a better place <laughs> than we are now. I would have to put on my spectacles and drill down into the different <laughs> types of copyright and, and figure out uh, perhaps, you know, on a basis to basis kind of thing. But for the most part, I think slicing it in half would be good. Shelly, what do you think? It blows my mind that 100 years ago is 1921. Whenever I hear that, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm startled. And so that's where we're at right now, because much of copyright, not all of it, but much of copyright is 100 years or 75 years. And the trouble also is it, it depends on the kind of work you're talking about, because I, I think we might all agree that F. Scott Fitzgerald, who is long dead and who his descendants are, are not that many, doesn't need to continue profiting from The Great Gatsby. Let the fan fiction exist. But 
there are lots of copyrighted entities that are complicated, for example, film and music that go through various stages of rights ownership. And that copyright can both protect and harm the distribution of the work. So, for example, classic films, something I care a lot about, uh, being in copyright means that theoretically it's an asset that's of value to a company that would want to continue to preserve it and disseminate it via streaming or via some sort of media. The flip side of that is it's lying there dormant, and if it's it's out of copyright, uh, it the reproductions that will be created will not be of particularly good quality. There's no incentive for anybody to restore that and bring it bring it out because there's no money behind it. So for me, it really matters what the what kind of material we're talking about because my goal would be to make sure that as many things continue to be available to as many people as possible without doing the cop- the original copyright holder out of his or her uh, rights. And to me, life, lifetime of the author for something that's individually owned like that for, you know, this podcast, The Great Gatsby, all the wonderful classic works of, of fiction uh, should, should be the <laughs> lifetime of the authors. Uh, but I would like to make sure that, you know, really excellent classic films, to be, to be honest, as copyrights are, what I want to do is make decisions based on what I like and what will protect what I like most. And so some of that is going to be arbitrary based on, oh, oh, is that going to hurt this uh, wonderful uh, film noir classic? Or, oh, well, then let's do what I want to it as opposed (laughs) to what, what the law might say. Because copyright, when you talk about things that are owned by companies, is necessarily incredibly complicated. In fact, that's the reason a lot of material is not seen anymore because the rights tangle is so great that it's not either financially or legally worth the trouble it takes to pull it out of the deep, dark hole it's in. So that would be an argument for looser copyright laws. In other words, I'm all over the place, but I'm the czar. So that's my right. That's okay. You can be that. Thank you to to all of you. I, I think Shelley makes a good point. I was actually just watching a little mini documentary about The Front Page, which is a movie that fell into fell out of copyright and as a result the quality of the uh, of the film was uh, terrible because everybody just made dupes of it and it turned out there was a whole other version uh, sitting in the archives that was actually a, a different edition and and you need somebody who's motivated and honestly they have to either be a, a non-profit kind of a university or something like that or it needs to be somebody who's motivated to be able to sell it and make money for those things to exist so I think your point is is well taken Shelley um, and it may be different length for something like a film film or a record album than it is for a uh, uh, for a book. But I, I think if I were the czar um, right now, I believe a new copyright is life of the author plus 70 years, which seems extreme to me. Uh, we have whole businesses like Disney that are built on adapting public domain material and then they copyright their material and insist that copyrights should never fall out into public domain. And the irony is uh, rich. So I, I think I'm going to go with Life of the Author or 50 Years, whichever is later, mm. in case somebody lives a long time. But basically, what I'm saying is, in, for most cases, something like 50 or 60 years, I think Life Plus 70 gets to the point that Micah made, which is you've got the descendants of F. Scott Fitzgerald controlling what happens to the Great Gatsby. And, you know, it's it should be long uh, accessible to anyone to create great new material that builds upon it. So, but thank you all, my friendly copyright czars. I appreciate you, and I got you this uh, circle with a C inside of it as a gift. Uh, nice. Rosemary, what's your final topic? Bring it on home. Well, Apple has just won a patent for a dual display MacBook with a virtual keyboard and wireless charging capabilities. 
So I'm wondering, what features would you like to see in a computer designed for you? Whew, this is awesome. Um, okay, so in a computer designed for me, uh, when the display, so it would be a laptop, and when the display is closed, um, there would be like a button or some sort of activation method where uh, the the lights that are built into the display, so that the backlight would uh, go ultraviolet and it would clean the trackpad and keyboard uh, on a, on a <laughs> micro cellular level. Um, so I could always have that kind of cleaned off. And then it would also, um, the, the, the fans that are built into the uh, laptop, um, Apple loves to talk about how, you know, they're purpose, perfectly designed and, and uh, shaped just so, so that they're quiet. I want uh, a feature where it reroutes the fans up through the keyboard to blow away dust uh, that is trapped beneath the keyboard and on top of the, the keys. Um, as you can tell, I don't like to have a very messy <laughs> um, keyboard and trackpad, but occasionally I will look down and go, mm, that could be cleaner. And so mine would all be based around making sure that it was clean. Outside of that... Um, Honestly, I'm pretty happy with the way my uh, my 16-inch Intel MacBook Pro is. Um, I think the only thing I would do is somehow bring back an Ethernet port, um, like a direct Ethernet port, because that's the only thing that I find myself wanting when I'm away from my desk, which has my CalDigit TS3 Plus uh, for Ethernet. I just want to have a quick and easy way to uh, plug into the internet without needing to use Wi-Fi. So, yeah, that's uh, that's mine. Shelly, what about you? So I should start by saying it has to be a computer. It's not an iPad because what I'm going to describe, you might say, well, why don't you just get an iPad? I have one. Thank you. What I want is a two-piece laptop. I would like to be able to, whether it's on a stand that is built in as part of the case or whether it's a stand I acquire separately, I want to lift the monitor up and above the uh, keyboard so that it can be right in my face, but I can use the keyboard in whatever physical position I want to. It's not constrained by the other piece because that's the way I use a computer very close to my face. And other because otherwise, I'm always using a laptop in clamshell mode to to lean over to use a laptop as intended with a screen way out there beyond the keyboard uh, doesn't work for me from an accessibility point of view. So, so yeah, give me a two-piece laptop that has uh, sufficient control of the standing mechanism for the, key, for the monitor part that I can bring it uh, toward me and even in front of the keyboard, as weird as that may sound to others. I, uh, I thought Shelly was going to take my answer, and she actually comes pretty close, which is I want uh, a laptop with a removable, detachable uh, screen. So this would work for Shelly. So we're going to say, I'm going to take Shelly's laptop and I'm going to add one feature to it, which is that screen is a touch screen. It is an iPad when it wants to be. So I can travel with a single device that is a Mac laptop when I want it to be, but I can pop the screen off and it's an iPad. And Your amendment can, is accepted. And and, <laughs> and then Shelly can say, no, no, I want, when I take the screen off, I want it to stay in Mac mode. Uh, or you can call that, uh, you know, whatever you want, sidecar, self-sidecar. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and, but uh, I should be able to also flip it over into iPad mode and, and then walk away and and use it as an iPad. Or even flip it into iPad mode and use it as an iPad when it's still attached to the keyboard and the trackpad. That would work, too. But that's kind of what I want because I have find myself traveling with an iPad and a laptop again. And I'd really rather only have one. 
if I could if I could help it, but I'm not going to not bring my iPad. So if I want the flexibility of the Mac, plus I want uh, the iPad and I want one less thing in my bag, I need the Mega Super Shelly laptop. So I'm on board with Shelly's thing. I'm investing in Shelly's idea. This is such wow. a good birthday so far. I love it. <laughs> I mean, between the two of you, you pretty much covered my answer as well. Um, you know, I'd love a sort of desktop dock for the 16 plus inch iPad or maybe, it, I mean, I had to think maybe there would just be a chip that, you know, attaches to my Apple Watch Band um, and then I can pop that in the back of a screen, which is an iPad or a Mac with touchscreen and dock it to a keyboard or dock it on my, you know, put the chip in the back of something that kind of looks like an iMac. But then all of my data is just there everywhere, regardless of whether or not stuff has been online. Um, and uh, I know it's called a USB key, but anyway um but yeah there there you know there's some very good ideas out there i'm very curious as to what the dual display macbook with a virtual keyboard and wireless charging would actually look like if it ever makes it to us as we all know with apple patents they patent things but that doesn't mean we're gonna get it so we're gonna have to wait and see there Yes, we shall. Uh, well, folks, we don't have to wait and see what the bonus topic is. Uh, surprise, you just won a boat. What? Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> this day is so good. <laughs> what are you naming your boat, Shelly? Going to go simple, and I'm just going to call it Das Boat. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Jason? I have lots of devices that are monkey-themed with their names, so I'm going to call it Sea Monkey. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Rosemary? Uh, Stardust Express. Aww. Because this way it does not infringe on any film franchises. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm calling mine Flittish after one of the Tua de Danon, uh, which is, uh, uh, I believe, an Irish uh, deity. And uh, I just like that name, Flittish. It sounds like a very fast boat. Um, so thank you all for your nautical answers. And, uh, I believe it is time to say thank you to our incredible guests as we wrap up the show. Shelly Brisbane, happy birthday and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making this part of my birthday so much fun. And Rosemary Orchard. I, I did say your name is your website. It's rosemaryorchard.com. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very much, Micah, for, for hosting me. I, I believe I might see you later this week. And Jason for standing in, of course. Thank you. All right. And that ends this episode of Clockwise. Dan will be back next week, I assume, wherever he is, whatever, Dan. Uh, but until then, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. <laughs>